playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced weird stuff has happened in the past and here i am to tell you about it i guess yeah i will yeah absurd real history hello and welcome to absurd real history the podcast where i find weird stories from the past and find interesting people to tell them to I am Sarah Shishane and I am joined yet again by filmmaker, writer and actor Seamus Hanley and composer. You may notice this composer. He actually did the outro music for this podcast that if you've been listening, that's been Seamus, which I should have said last episode. This is a part two. I play it live every time for every episode. I have to sit mm-hmm. in. I have to sit in on every episode and, and wait for the cue. So she gives me a hand signal and then I start playing the music to the exact same timing and performance quality every single time. But for these episodes, I decided to pre-record it. And I realized I should just you should just play that pre-recording for each episode since 80% of what I just said is not true. <laughs> I just I lied. think a couple of episodes ago when Seamus was playing the music live, I just saw him crying and I was like, I should probably just ask him to be on an episode. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's just, I just, that's just because I was just really feeling it. I just, you know, that's, any musician, any musician mm. who doesn't cry while they're performing is a con artist. That's, that's, don't let anyone tell you any different. <laughs> so this is part two about William Moulton Marston, the creator ah, of Wonder Woman. My man, Multi Mars. Uh, Seamus, do you want to just sum up really quickly what we what we talked about last week? Previously on Absurd Real History. Also, For yeah, us, it's today. For our a- listeners, it's last week. And you also want to check those paying attention. Yes, so this is a test. William Moulton Mars, born in the 1880s. Is that right? Or late 1880s? 18- Hundreds. You don't need. I, we, I don't need a full biography. I, just... I know. I'm. I'm. I'm just. I'm. This is me working my way back. And yes. It was like a Harvard graduate, and then supported his wife uh, Elizabeth, who who um went to Tufts because she couldn't go to Harvard and got a master's because she couldn't get a PhD. But anyway, she, all she right. didn't. She no no no. His wife went to Radcliffe. Tufts Radcliffe. is where he met Olive. Olive oh, went to Olive Tufts. went to Tufts. There we go. <laughs> and the three of them had a polyamorous trio relationship and they had children so and multimars is yeah so interesting guy could never really sit still uh developed developed research that uh contributed what to eventually became the polygraph test but he didn't invent mm-hmm. the polygraph test and bondage 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 a lot of bondage we're gonna get into bondage and also we're getting we're gonna, now get, we're, getting, we're gonna get into bondage we're gonna get into a bondage guys we're gonna get into bondage. we haven't mentioned on this podcast that you and i are cousins <laughs> i mean second cousin that's been absurd real history with them. i'll just play the music this is why i'm crying when i'm sorry okay <laughs> So let's just, I just want to get you up to, up to speed with where William Moulton Marston and his wives were. Well, immigrant society, wife, partner, mistress, whatever. So we're in 1930s. At this stage, as I said before, he was kind of all over the place. A lot of the time psychologists would kind of climb up the academic ladder. I think because of his unusual lifestyle and his unusual thoughts and just his kind of the way he was, as I, I said this before, he kind of just jumped around yeah. jobs a lot. Like sometimes he would be, you know, he would just kind of jump up and down the, the academic ladder, go sideways, go take jobs that were beneath him sometimes. I, I love it. I, I love I love that he was clearly intelligent, hardworking mm. and passionate, but just unconventional. 
in the 1930s, they were somewhat financially struggling, living in a big farmhouse in Rye, New York. He was, at this time, known mostly as being like a pop psychologist. He was really good at pushing himself. So he had such hits as, like, these were pop psychology books that he wrote. You can be popular. <laughs> and try living. Try living. <laughs> I know. I love these pop science books sometimes. A book exclusively for corpses. Yeah, have you have you tried it? It's one of those things where I tried it and I realized I'd been doing it this whole time. It's like a really bad advice, you know, when people are depressed. It's like, well, have you tried being happy, not being depressed? Yeah. Have you tried living? Yeah. Have you? I'm also, it's the 30s, so it's just like, more and more people are trying living every day. This person is alive. Yeah, so, you know, Elizabeth was kind of working... Um, Olive was kind of every now and again writing an artic- articles for, for various things. So in an article, Marston was talking about the positive effects of comic books on American children. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And this was seen by Maxwell Charles Gaines, who was the founder of All American Comics, which would become DC. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gaines. Was he? Gaines. Yeah. There's another Gaines of a later generation who is monumental in publication. Yeah, William Gaines, American publisher, who who created Mad Magazine and EC Comics, which is all like the weird science and tales of from the crypt and stuff like that. But his father was Max Gaines. There you so, go. So Max Gaines, father of the guy who created EC Comics, which uh, yeah. created which contributed greatly to the ho- the, the uh, hypersaturated horror movie horror um aesthetic and also created or, or not created but was a big part of Mad Magazine so this is a family of pub- publishers yeah I'm um, glad I checked that now around this time comic books were relatively mm-hmm. new and they were kind of getting a bad rap they were criticized for their violence yeah. and their sexual imagery and kind of th- you know I, I think it's like this with any new thing how we talk about screens now like it's destroying the youth but I think it was mainly in America there's there's it's historically America mm. was ashamed obviously not now if anything America could do with a little comic book shame mm. but uh, I digress but the, America was ashamed yeah. of comic books despite and I didn't want to admit it was a significant thing in their pop culture because you, meanwhile, you have like Tintin has never not been celebrated in Belgium, and and uh, Japan has always been very yeah. very um, embraced its its manga comic book culture. But America specifically, for a very long time, was ashamed of comics, despite it also being uh, a prosperous industry. I think what we forget about America is that it was a whole country where yeah, there's a lot of things we always you know, forget about America that we need to keep remembering. Yeah. But we forget that it was colonized by a group of people who didn't think England was religious enough for them. So a lot of the time, America and aspects of America are more repressed than areas of Ireland. And it's quite new. So, you know, you think of Puritans and that's the culture coming from that to comics and beating up bad guys and it's... You can you can see where that's coming from. It, it's a censor. I think World War Two also can, uh, had a, a huge hand in comic book culture because it's oh one hundred percent and Wonder Woman early things. It's all it was all about punching Nazis. Yeah, well, and then the one the one I know a little more about is plenty of people have watched the first Chris Evans Captain America movie mm. where there's a montage where he becomes Captain America, but they don't know what to do with him, and so they use him as just a mascot to sell comic books and 
they say like, oh, every comic book you buy contributes, a, you know, to fund the American army. That's a real thing. Captain America mm. was created during World War II. So, so obviously there wasn't actually a real Captain America with super serum powers, but there was a Captain America comic that was created to fund. He was literally a World War II mascot. He, 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 you know what I mean? And then like years later when they wanted to revive him, they just said, oh, he's been frozen this whole time. But it was actually uh, the original Captain America origin didn't involve any him being frozen and waking up in modern day because modern day was World War II. Yeah. So, so and, yeah. <laughs> It's it's I mean it's a whole other thing, but the Nazis, which are a very real, horrifying, horrible thing that happened, also contributed to the supervillain aesthetic. Oh, you know I mean? stormtroopers, Darth Vader, 100%. the Empire—they're just—they're just Nazis. And what we think of the Empire and Darth Vader as these things that are fantasy, they're based on a very real, horrifying thing that happens that we're still processing. Hmm. Um, so it's anyway, yes, but yes, World War Two, big deal in yeah. for comics and uh, everything else. Yeah, exactly. So Maxwell Gaines hired Marston as a psychologist consultant or an educational consultant to basically defend comic books to the media. Right. Being like, no, these are a useful tool or these are good things. These are, you know. It needs to be said how much Maxwell Gaines sounds like the name of a rich person, American rich person yeah. in the early 20th century. Oh, Maxwell, like he's, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to adopt a scrappy red-headed orphan. Like, I'm, yeah. all I care about is capitalism. So his, essentially, he was hired to, to fend off criticism in an educated way to the media. In the past, he had actually worked as a consulting psychologist for Universal Pictures during some of his college years. Okay. So it wasn't completely off-brand. But he was also into pop psychology. And obviously, pop psychology can be very dangerous. He was interested in how do you make these ideas more accessible to the less scholarly I'm not. yes and wonder woman was created as propaganda for his radical feminism and for bondage right and i should say it is through this partnership with maxwell charles Gaines that wonder woman was created now i didn't look into this uh, i did but i didn't research it or write it down because there's a lot and it's not what i'm focusing on right obviously Wonder Woman wasn't just created by Charles Marston. His partners obviously had something to do with it. There's also great artists that All American Comics had hired. Yeah. There was loads of people involved with the creation of it or how it came about, how it became popular. I'm kind of skipping all that. So this is a direct quote from William Marston. Wonder Woman is psychological propaganda for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. There isn't love enough in the male organism to run this planet peacefully. So he full on admits it's propaganda. Yeah. <laughs> but still. But he's also like, he kind of has he's a point. also, he, no, but he's also, yeah, like making some, some good points about dudes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Some of his points I kind of agree with. You know, he created Wonder Woman to be a feminist icon and an inspiration to both women and men to embrace their femininity and smash the patriarchy, which I'm all for smashing. I'm all for feminist propaganda. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just want to talk about feminism really quickly. I know I, I always talk about feminism. Love take, me. Take your time. I remember when I was in college during my during my master's, we were reading up on feminist theory for like theater and plays and stuff. And one thing that after reading a lot of feminist theory, one thing that I thought was really interesting that stuck with me is our lecturer said, there's no such thing as a feminist. You know, it is ridiculous that people ask, are you feminist? Because that doesn't make any sense. And Back during the suffragette movement, back in the 40s, even now, 
feminism doesn't mean anything because there are so many different branches of it, you know? So Marston right. was a radical feminist. And what we need to remember is what we think of now as TERFs sprung from radical feminism. And although there's a mm-hmm. lot of stuff in mm-hmm. there that I agree with and a super progressive for its time, there are some aspects of radical feminism, you know, for instance, it's it's not very friendly or even understanding of non-binary or the whole or non-binary people, yeah. Radical feminism is all about making a matriarchy and the matriarchy being superior to the patriarchy and dismantling the patriarchy as opposed to you know social feminism or um leveling out it's all about embracing feminist like feminine traits which is why wonder woman and even though she got criticized for it that's why she dresses all sexy like because she's embracing that being a woman instead of trying to to mask it right yeah yes yeah. Which obviously, from what I didn't didn't hold well, you know, as in for like later years, much much later years of Wonder Woman, it became less empowering and more objectified. Yes, yes. So we're gonna talk a bit about psychology. I like the comic book stuff, but I'm loving all of this. You know, I'll give this side. You give the comic book side. You give the the comic book yeah. side of the story. I give this because you're seeing how it all kind of ties in. Yeah. Tie really the word? Sorry, uh, I've, I've, more bondage. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got bondage on the brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, Marston's Marston did a lot of research over his years, mm-hmm. and his research led him to believe a few things. Through his research, it led him to believe that women were inherently more honest than men, and society as a whole would be better if women were in charge. So he was very much for you know, yeah. come on, come on, women, yeah. In 1928, he released Emotions of Normal People, which, by the way, all three of the women and his aunt and mother are credited uh, in the acknowledgments. And in this book, he laid the groundwork for DISC theory. DISC theory is a, a method of measuring personality, and it was developed into a personality test in 1958 by Walter Clark, and it's still I used... I thought you were going to say L. Ron Hubbard there. <laughs> no. Think like, you know, those like Myers-Briggs tests or like stuff like it's that. It's just one of those people say sometimes on Twitter or Tinder, they're just like, they write a code and it's like, this is yeah. my personality. Okay. Yeah. Okay. S- so it's that field of psychology. It is still like not his theories exactly, yeah. but he coins disc theory. And from this, we still have like these personality tests it's, or these things are still used today. I think it's, Tony it's, Robbins uses it, oh, <laughs> which isn't saying much, but no, it's that but kind it's not, of But it's round. not exactly phrenology or Dianetics. It's not total bullshit. Yeah. I mean, when it initially came out, um, not it didn't get a lot of attention. It got one raving review, which was written by Olive under a pseudonym. I, so. I was I, <laughs> I was gonna make a joke saying like was it was it Liz or Olive who wrote it? And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They gave it four stars. They used a different account, so it it, it didn't look too raving. Like it's like yeah, let's let's keep this well, casual looking. One thing that I should probably say mm-hmm. that I forgot to say is William Marston. When he released Wonder Woman, he released it under a pseudonym because he was known as a psychologist and he wanted that separation. Right. So for the first, he 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 was Charles Charles Moulton. Even at that time, that's writer pseudonyms in fiction are very very common. I mean, yeah. his name wasn't Stan Lee; he was Stanley Lieberman. It's very yeah, it's very common to yeah, yeah. use that term. Yeah. 
in this book, Emotions of Normal People, he also defends what is considered like abnormal sexual behaviors and right. saying that they are normal. So, you know, he is defending homosexuality at a time when it was considered a disorder. So he's very, you know, yeah. good in that respect and, and other fetishes and I, stuff. I, I, I guess props to him that it's it's something he defended, even though he didn't identify with it personally. He still was like, well, just because this, you know what I mean, that he, he wasn't, as far as I know, unless I'm about to find out something, he wasn't bisexual or anything, but he still was like, no, all, all forms, even the ones I'm not, definitely not by he loved women yeah, yeah, yeah. never he definitely loved women as much as uh i think I mean, he is lo- as be, straight you can be bisexual and still love women obviously you know that but i'm like i it's interesting to see that he it's i, I i'm impressed that he was happy was uh eager to defend um same-sex attraction even when that's seemingly something he didn't feel himself that's that's impressive to me for that time he was super into a bondage and fetishism which would have been in the same category as homosexuality at this time yeah and also he was all for lesbians right so he <laughs> well that's something else now isn't it that's but it's you could imagine someone who's like interested in, in polyamory and all but could still find this one thing you're like how could you be all for this and not this and it's because they don't personally identify with it. one of his bosses said this of him marston's idea of feminine supremacy was the ability to submit to male domination William had a rather strange appreciation of women. One was never enough. So besides his women, you could imagine that he was off having an affairs load like, or, or maybe not affairs. There was an open marriage. Well, or was it no? Well, marriage? they weren't who knows? They weren't adulterous affairs. We don't know. We don't know if their relationship was yeah. a committed polyamory relationship. I know that he believed in practices of free love, but whether that was something that was openly communicated and done. Yeah. Like that's the thing. I don't know. I I but he, but he seemingly achieved something very healthy. Yes, yeah, seemingly. But then you also read up about him, and I'm like, oh, man, I think this was just a dude who was just yeah, obsessed yeah. with lesbians being tied up. Yeah, yeah. There's also that side <laughs> that I mean, look, we're talking, we're talking about heterosexual men here. You just can't know, and odds you are, you can't trust them. <laughs> odds are, it wasn't good, and it's like, oh, you did it again. You fell for the because, I mean, how many, how many seemingly super progressive feminist men i'm just gonna say it because it's all out now uh it's all it's all you know like the joss whedon's yeah exactly one thing that we have to remember as well is that he is shortly not shortly after like a, but not that far away from freud right in it's in the timeline and marston kind of did what freud did which i don't agree with which was just basically everything's about sex right yeah so that's what marston kind of did like he study study sex he used his lie detector test to like do all these tests on these women in this sorority you know he he got excited doing these studies on women where he was tying them up to yeah. like blood pressure machines and it's a mi- seeing how aroused that yeah it's a misconception it's something i don't know much about but there's the whole thing there's also anything i really know about it i know from watching bojack horseman but asexuality but obviously there are people who thought, okay, everyone's as horny as me and anyone who doesn't seem to be must be repressed. And while there were plenty of repressed people, there are also people who just don't have those feelings at all. Or as yeah, strong. I think um, because everything is on a spectrum. Yes. And I think society in general, well, at least Western society, has been very sexually repressed. Yes. 
That's kind. It's kind of our thing. So you have hypersexual people, yeah, who have been repressed and are suddenly not, and that's fantastic. Well, not maybe they're repressed in some ways, but their thinking is, well, everyone is as hyper hypersexual as me. They're just repressed the way I was. So anyone who isn't hypersexual is repressed. But it's like, no, everything's a spectrum. You can be hypersexual and be healthy and embrace that, and you know have your open marriages or as long as there's open communication mm -hmm. but at the same time asexuals exist and they shouldn't feel broken yeah. or told that they're repressed or the idea of having all pop psych the idea of having all psychology be related to sex and if you're not interested in sex or that's a sex problem and it's because you were I know you saw your mom naked one so the idea of tying sex into psychology it's kind of a relatively new thing, but something that was very much around in this time. Yeah, there was, so, I guess a lot of it was, a, a ma I guess a major movement. Is Kinsey, mm. Kinsey's another guy? Yeah. Where it's, there was, there's sort of like a, no one talks about this. You know what I mean? It's a taboo to even talk mm. about this. So the fact that we're talking about it is like a holy crap moment. Like even disc theory that... I swear to God, when you said disc theory, I thought you were going to say like, he believed like... Terry Pratchett's stuff was like like that Terry <laughs> Pratchett was making fun of that stuff by writing the disc world that he like disc theory was that he believed in a disc earth and he we were on a, a turtle and it's like at the point yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like the later years of uh Arthur Conan Doyle where he stops writing Sherlock Holmes and just straight up believes in ghosts and fairies like there's this point where it's, and then we lost him <laughs> like he was really interesting and then we lost him <laughs> William Marston is known for three things he's known for the lie detector he's known Wonder for Woman. Wonder Woman <laughs> and he is known for developing disc theory. So what is it? Basically, he devised that everyone's personality is a unique blend of these four different behaviors and that you're somewhere on that spectrum. And this could be a method of measuring personality types. It's not like you are one. It's just more... Oh, so it's it's a nuanced spectrum, but, but with defining four points. Yeah, with four, right. with four discs. And they are... Um, D stands for dominance. Right. I, inducement or inspiration. S, submission. And C, compliance. So you have your dominatrixes, you have your muses, yeah. you have your... Um, I don't want to say bottoms for those wondering i did the test and i am more of a dominant person okay how long does it take to do, how long does it take to do the test not that long as i said the test wasn't de devised by by him much like the polygraph he didn't actually do the, the final thing but he had it's based on some research he's done i i would say disc is more his thing than the poly polygraph okay. but I yeah. Get you, yeah i get you so Marston believes that women were naturally submissive and naturally more submissive to than men and that this was a good thing if it was towards a loving authority. He believed that like sex bondage could be a psychological tool to like train people to be better or something like that. He yeah. believed that men tended towards dominant authoritarian behavior, and he found that toxic. Submission, he thought, was the road to peace, love, and happiness. Since women were more submissive, that meant they were more fit to rule and should become what he would call love leaders, indoctrinating men and women into the, the joys of matriarchal 
obedience. It's almost kind of, um, as someone who doesn't know a lot about this, but it's almost kind of Buddhist. The idea of mm. like, or I, I'm a big fan of, again, I don't know them that well, but the ideas that Bruce Lee talked about, which was two forms, you can take rock or water, and a rock is limited to its form, but a water can change and conform and, mm. and, and, and fit different environments. And to be water is more... Uh, is the better is the better form you can achieve more so does that make sense that that's as in like this yeah. is a common thing and lots of different i say this as someone with like just a simple knowledge and you know a passing not even passing knowledge of those different things but i always like that the idea of like no, no no don't constrict yourself to a form commit to being formless is that the same thing kind of i mean i think his idea was that like submission is good if it's towards something that is right and towards a loving leader and and this is again where his ideas are a bit more complex because on one hand you know what he's saying is kind of right you know this authoritarian like toxic masculinity is toxic and dangerous yeah but on the other hand he's also saying that women are naturally submissive <laughs> like right yeah 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 but it's, it's as if it's it's but he's celebrating that it's weird yeah <laughs> no it sounds a little michael scott i know you're not a, a fan of the office but the idea of like oh women are great because they they agree to do all the housework and that's so help that's so nice of them and it's like no that's mm, like you know what I mean well he he thought that you know women should be in control not that right you're always submissive but that they are so with with Wonder Woman in particular she does fight the bad, bad guys but she is willing to submit to reason it's very so, interesting how the just actually how symbiotic all the different elements of Wonder Woman are to this guy's personality. Yeah, that, that's that's actually fascinating. Exactly. Here's another quote from Marston. Wars will only cease when humans enjoy being bound. So his basic thing is like, we all need to to learn to submit and be tied up and to yeah. be submissive Which towards can, people. can really be... That sounds in the wrong context, downright fascist. Fascist. That's As the it, thing. And yeah, that's... where it's where it's like. So you're saying that it's on. I know he's not saying this, but it could be read as so. It's on the POWs to give in. <laughs> like, well, like one, yeah. Well, one thing that he is in disc theory and with women, like he does say, women are like more naturally more submissive towards a loving authority, and that we are happy if we are submitting towards loving authority not authority in general. He does make right. a point of it being like good, loving authority. The idea being if women submit to women, those the women are loving authority. And if men submit to women, that is also loving authority. It seems that he was very much anti-ego. We should have a side where people don't want to be leaders. People are happy when there's a good leader, if it's them or not. He also seemed to have a big ego himself, though. Like Okay, well, he was a comic book writer. You can only do this. He was yeah. an influencer. If he had if he had an Instagram, he'd be on it all the time. It sounds like yeah. A lot of the a lot of websites when they're talking about this, not a, not all of them, but I did find a few that were like Wonder Woman's creator and his secret sex cult. Right. Yeah. But it, to me, it does sound very consensual in all this. It doesn't sound like a, a sex yeah. cult. It's hard to but tell because it's, it's hard to tell. He's kind. If that's the, really the case, he's like a goddamn unicorn. Like. Yeah. He's a goddamn unicorn if this really is what it how it seems. Apparently Marston was really specific to the Wonder Woman artists about how chained up Wonder Woman 
should look. And he would write like detailed descriptions about how the chains and the bondage should be. And again, there's two ways to look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He full on admits that Wonder Woman was created as psychological propaganda to, you know, make people this new type of women, woman to be like submissive. But a huge part of it, I think as well, is also normalizing BDSM so his kink is more normalized in society. That is also a part of it. Yeah, I never, I'm not kink shaming here. If it's all mature and consented, do what you want. Like, yeah, so it's and the yeah. idea of something that is normalizing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, he believed that sexual enslavement was another way of achieving peace and just wanted it more widespread, I suppose. Here's a quote from Wonder Woman herself, from one of these early Wonder Woman comics. If girls want to be slaves, there's no harm in that. The bad thing for them is submitting to a master or to an evil mistress like Paula. A good mistress could do wonders with them. So that's a direct comic book quote. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> again, we have to really discuss to show what they were trying to say. It needs to be said, especially in the time it was said, the, the word slave is just a bad choice. I mean, that's... BDSM language. Okay, fair enough. Again, I don't know. I, I think. Uh, I'm not in that community, but I don't know. But as in, there's a lot of stuff he said where it's like, if you don't have the right context, it can look really, really bad. Yes. It's interesting to see how much he's trying to express something. And if you, it seems like it's actually nice, good things he's expressing, but there's also a struggle to express it where it's like a tightrope. It's like, if you don't quite phrase it right, fall off the tightrope and what you're saying sounds really horrible. Yeah. So I was saying earlier about these baby parties that Olive brought him to. And again, he's just studying these sorority girls hitting each other with paddles. Yeah. And they seem to be like, yes, you can come and look at this thing we want to do. But then you're also like, how much? Again, like, I, I, I think, yeah. And although, if, yeah. if this really is all progressive, he's a goddamn unicorn. <laughs> like, and even like, you know, Olive was super up for everything and by all accounts is a strong woman in herself. Yes. But she was still 21 and he was still 32. She, he was right. still her professor yeah. during all this. Yeah. And it's, again, oh, well, it, it, it seemed to develop into a genuinely healthy relationship. But again, if that's the case, goddamn unicorn. I'll stop saying that, mm. but I, I think I've emphasized mm -hmm. that point enough. What is, here's the thing. What is Wonder Woman's greatest weakness? Uh, oh, I... You know this, come on, I believe in you. What is Wonder Woman's greatest See, I've, I've watched both the Gal Gadot movies, and I'm trying to remember what her... It's not, does, it's... It's not in not those? Not really in the movie. Maybe it's in the movie, but, but, her, but her, think of the comic books. Her kryptonite. Oh, I've never, I've never read What's it. her kryptonite? I've never read... What is Wonder Woman? I forget, no, I've, I've, oh, I've heard this before. I don't remember, I don't I know that you know. You want to try and guess? Lies? Wonder Woman's greatest weakness was to be tied up by a man. If this were to happen, That's she would right. lose all her superpowers and become helpless. I have heard this. I have heard this. I was afraid of giving the wrong answer. I, no, I've heard. I, yeah, yeah. So it's. Man, early Wonder Woman comics were filled with like bondage and tight. Like every episode or I don't know, strip or book or entry installment. installment thank you. He had her tied up loads, her tying other people loads. Even those baby parties we we're talking about too. He did a whole segment about some planet where there was like a baby week. It was a whole like installment of Wonder Woman. How much was a conventional story compromised for the sake of this content? I don't know. I wonder. So here's another fun fact for you. Back when uh, Marston was studying arousal in women, he found that... If that's, if that's what you want to call it. Well, sorry. that's what he was doing. That actually is a study that he did. Right. No, that's true. That's true. What he found through his studies 
was that brunettes were friskier than blondes and less submissive. Mm. So in the Wonder Woman series, Steve Trevor is blonde on purpose and Wonder Woman is brunette. This is very conscious because Marston believes blonde men are more submissive towards brunette women. And this is Chris Pine's yes. character. I just think this is like, he was even thinking as far as just like the color of hair. Yeah. You know, like Wonder Woman has dark hair because through his studies, he found that dark haired women were more dominant and that blonde men were more willing to submit. Right. This is starting to sound a little Gene Roddenberry, who is like, it's like, maybe, maybe you're just... Your, your your personal tastes got in the way of your progressiveness here. Yeah, thinking back now, and I'm like, most of my boyfriends have been blonde. <laughs> That's a personal taste, you know what I mean? Like that, can, yeah. But... Well, no, I didn't go. Anyway, <laughs> back to bondage. Yeah, I, I don't think we've talked enough about it. It is that nice thing of like, look, I like it, and it's making me happier. So there must be something to that. And it seems that's what uh, Molten Mars is trying to, was trying to say about bondage. Like, it's like, no, there, there's something here that I get. It, it is beneficial to me. Uh, and, and I like it. And that should be okay. That should be accepted. You know, there are definitely more dangerous kinks out there. Yes. It's not so much the bondage in itself. It's more the, the obsession he had into developing his own psychological theories about people. And also at this time, well, at least when he was studying, psychology was considered a branch of philosophy. It wasn't um, right. in itself. So chains and being tied up was a huge symbolism towards the suffragette movement and feminist movements as well in the 1940s. There was a lot of cartoons, feminist cartoons, of chained women and this was kind of a a staple metaphor of the feminist movement of the early uh, 20th century of like this is a metaphor for the, the state of women of women breaking free from restrictions right. of a dominated yeah. world so yeah. it's them bound up as an expression of the male patriarchy and then breaking free as symbolism i will say one thing that was super beneficial of that book that i mentioned um, when we first started talking about all this, The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore, is that for me personally, I got a really good understanding. I got a really good history of feminist movements in America and the UK that I never really knew before reading that. Right. Trace through Wonder Woman's history. Because I, I know the suffragette movement is a seriously dark and heavy era. There's a lot of stuff like I, I, I just you know we just think about what's happening now and, mm. and realize there's all these different waves and, and a lot of and, and yeah. speak of the time but also are very different what's interesting he was very much in the movement as in he was he knew all the history he had studied it he knew all these feminist heroes when he was at college it was around the time where feminists were speaking at colleges but often weren't allowed to to speak mm. there was movements where uh women chained themselves to um to to gates to poles as like a symbol of you know yeah as oh uh, like like tying yourself to a tree yeah similar or, yeah. yeah um yeah yeah, cha- yeah 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 so there's this whole thing of just in many different forms the idea of a chain is just this naturally recurring staple of that movement. Yeah. So like Amelia Pankhurst was like um, w- the one of the main people in developing the UK suffragette movement. When Marston was in college, um, she went to speak at his university. She wasn't allowed to speak. So they but she still spoke any anyway somewhere else. 
And like he was there, you know, seeing the speakers. He knew all about Olive's aunt and Olive's mother and, you know, all of this, you know. So, intended. so whatever about his own theories and ideas that we have kind of talked about a bit more iffy. One thing is for certain is that he was very well educated on feminist history and feminist literature. And all, right. and also he had Olive and Elizabeth who were both also very educated on feminist theory and feminist literature influencing Wonder Woman. And there are so many clues, too many for me to go into about how like, oh, this symbolizes this, this symbolizes this. So another, you know, aside from it just being him wanting to see women tied up with Wonder Woman, it was very much, you know, mimicking feminist cartoons of her being bound and breaking free as a metaphor. Right. It's part of that same language. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Yeah. Wonder I'm Woman. It's, it's a very, yeah. it's a very, very, very rich history. Yeah. Wonder Woman is constantly breaking free and binding as much as she is bound herself. So it's twofold. Um, and even- it's interesting because I people, I've seen both the the new Wonder Woman movies, which I I quite liked, but I think they're quite flawed. But they're good movies. A lot of people talk about that scene where she walks out of the trench and how powerful that was for them. Her like I think she's blocking bullets in slow motion and stuff. Um, I don't think there's any like is she ever tied up in those films. I wonder. But it's it's inter- It's just it's always interesting. To have like a a milestone moment that is really saying a lot. It's tying mm. in with all these this this semiotics of the time. And even going more into that, I talked about Margaret Sanger a bit, who you know was a big <laughs> movement for birth control clinics and was Olive's aunt. In 1928, she wrote a feminist book called Motherhood in Bondage. So it was very much like they were connected as well. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm, I I now again this is the wrong thing. I'm just thinking of that. George W. Bush quote: mm. "We need to worry. We need to the bondage between a mother and daughter." He obviously was not being progressive when he said that. He was just. I'm again. I'm thinking of the wrong thing. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's, you make <laughs> connections, you know. But there was yeah. very much a clear, a clear tie to be. Yeah, this is a rich history, and isn't it nice that all these people knew each other and shared this in such a in a very fluid way? If you're listening to this, and you're super into bondage, awesome. And it has a rich feminist history. So that's a fun thing to Yeah, I, I, to I never quite thought of it that way. <laughs> I mean, I've never, never been, I never, you know, not never wanted to kink shame. It's, it's just a world I don't know. Uh, but that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, I guess, it, yeah, I guess BDSM is, is feminist. I didn't necessarily think it wasn't, but it's, it's one that's, what I would know about it, which isn't really, it's something that's reflected in, I'm thinking of, um, the, Again, this is just what I know. I'm thinking of like Hellraiser, you know, the horror movie. It has influences of BDSM and references to BDSM. Uh, and then The Matrix, I think that's something that's sort of, not so much, but sort of, like as in the creators have an interest in it. So it, it's, but it seems like something that people find interesting and it, it is, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot. Who are the creators of The Matrix? Lily and Lana Wachowski. Exactly. Do you think they are, would know a lot about feminist theory and research? Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. No. I, my point is that The Matrix was The Matrix is a great movie, and I think it has some elements of BDSM more aesthetically, faintly. I believe. Again, I'm not an expert. It also has or it has elements of 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 uh, trans psyche in there as well. 
which is something that they've said that was sort of expressed while they were still in the closet. They didn't, yeah, they I didn't remember, realize they were I expressing that. Talking, I remember an article about that. But yeah, but my point is, it's, it's, it's making me think a little more about how like BDSM is this very rich cultural thing that I, I'm on the outside of. But the more you hear about it, the more you're like, no, there's a, there's a lot of philosophy and, and notions to it and, and ideas behind it and stuff. There's a lot of, I mean, like feminism in itself, you know, even me, like what does bondage even mean? It's so vague. Mm-hmm. And, you know, BDSM might be a bit different to, to straight bondage in terms of like dominant submission, slave master kind of kind of stuff. There's loads of different categories and areas mm-hmm. that I am sure that although it might have a rich history there, there is often there, there's probably other histories that involve it, too, that are not connected to the suffragettes <laughs> and to Wonder Woman. Sure. You know, it's but it is just it is interesting uh, Wonder Woman, her history itself is very, you know, coming from feminist lo- like ideas and ideology. Quick recap: I told you I didn't going to go in too much into it, but Wonder Woman comes from Paradise Island, which mm-hmm. is an all-female utopia. Yeah, based on ancient Greek mythology. Yes, and there's elements of that as well. So, like things like the sirens on Lesbos. That's all. Like, which is a different friend in a completely different way. But it's like there's that idea of like an all female society, these different kinds of societies that are different are alternate to the, the one we live in that are better or worse. Yeah. Like it's it's really what I'm saying is that there's, there's a huge ancient Greece uh, influence, not just in terms of characters and ideas. but Inspired by Greek mythology, she and her fellow Amazonian women were. In, once enslaved by the male demigod Hercules, mm-hmm. and the, the chain, yep, and the chains on their wrists was part of that servitude. They eventually broke free from their chains and started their all-female society. Although continuing to wear the bracelets on their wrist as a reminder never to let men enslave them again. Right. So that's really drawing on the, the you know feminist ideas. Yeah, it's much richer than most superheroes when you hear like some major superhero characters or even just characters in fiction the idea for this symbol sometimes is very superfluous but then it took off but the fact that it meant a lot beforehand than it did after its success is very interesting yeah i told you it was just feminist propaganda and i believed you but now i believe you even more uh wonder woman was originally sculpted from clay by her mother right yes Uh, over time though censors grew uncomfortable with the idea of a fatherless child so her her origin story Uh, was reworked and she became a descendant of both a male and female olympian god right is her dad zeus or depends on the version zeus is involved in some stories isn't he in this one it was zeus i think it was like two two gods um, which is one of those annoying things of like oh we got it we got to use something people know yeah yeah, like people know zeus let's just what is uh wonder woman's main curse word i don't know i I thought i knew more i i I don't know suffering sappho no i've never heard that that's a reoccurring swear in wonder woman particularly the the early ones it was actually um elizabeth actually wrote a whole bunch of stuff that could be as phrases that could be used for wonder woman and sent it to the publishing and is it it's it's kind of like suffering succotash no so Okay. Sappho was an ancient Greek female poet from the Isle of Lesbos. Oh, so it's ki- it's kind of like saying like by o- by by Odin's beard or, or yeah yeah yeah. But it was Wonder Woman's one. 
Um, yeah. She grew to be a major symbol of love between women. And it's where we get the word lesbian from is because she came from Lesbos is because of Sappho. So, and this was already becoming like lesbian was starting to become a word around this time. So Sappho was very subtle, queer coding. Elizabeth was a major like stan of Sappho poetry when she was in college. And as you, if we were to go through early Wonder Woman, you'll see there's a lot of queer coding for Wonder Woman. Like, because Wonder Woman is clearly, you know, bi. You know, she grew up on an island of women. Right. Of course, everyone in the society is is gay to some degree, or most people. That's just the society. I mean, you've researched this, but I thought that they're not even necessarily reproducing sexually, but just by, is everyone made out of clay? As far as my research was concerned, Wonder Woman was specifically special because they really wanted a daughter, or okay, uh, or they they're also just they live a very long time, and also oh, is it? I think that's something she finds out later is that she was made out of clay, I, or maybe that's in the Gal Gadot movie. That's something she finds out later in. Life. I don't know. What I will say is, well, I mean that was shown in very early on that she was made of clay. But what I will say is, you know yourself more than anything. The origins of superhero characters and comic books. They change so much over time. Yes. That's why I didn't really focus too much on on that. I just thought that was interesting, the suffering Sappho. And... It, it makes me think how there's, there's a much more interesting, much more uh, unique movie to be made of Wonder Woman. I understand they made... Than the one that was made. I understand yeah. the one they made is, is in a limiting blockbuster shared universe context. And they were both of them. I like both of them, even, even Wonder Woman 1984, which got uh, a lot of bad reviews. I still really enjoyed it they are still fun movies for the the context they're being made but the, you want i want there needs to be more weird experimental comic book movies and there's definitely a weird or maybe even a tv show that actually keeps all this queer coding and, and rich culture intact mm. yeah and naturally these comics got a lot of complaints for promoting violence and sex and lesbianism and ankles you know some educated people, yeah, some educated <laughs> people were like, I know Sappho, I know that's related to, to right. gay stuff. Now the movie... Oh, and it's sort of like they're trying to recruit our kids kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. right. Ugh. Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, that movie that I was talking about earlier, they kind of make this a bigger deal than it seems. In reality, Marston was always able to intelligently defend his work. And the comic, like Wonder Woman was making bank at this stage that right, yeah. the publishing company, like that Gaines didn't really care. In fact, here's a quote that he wrote to Maxwell Gaines in response to all this criticism, in particular to the, the sexiness of Wonder Woman and like, you know, Wonder Woman being sexy, a little too sexy. This, my dear friend, is the one truly great contribution of my Wonder Woman strip to moral education of the young. The only hope for peace is to teach people who are full of pep and unbound force to enjoy being bound. Only when the control of self by others is more pleasant than the unbound assertion of self in human relationships can we hope for a stable, peaceful human society. Giving to others, being controlled by them, giving in to others, being controlled by them, submitting to other people cannot possibly be enjoyable without a strong erotic element. What do you make of that? I take his point. It's like, what's the point of being tied up if you're not getting something out of it? It's just more like, yeah, we got to make it, you know, people aren't going to learn to submit unless they're enjoying it and they're not uh, going to enjoy it unless it's a bit sexy. I like his ideas are interesting. His ideas are interesting and uh, I never want to 
kink shame, but his valiance specifically on the bondage is very high, is it not? He loves bondage, <laughs> like, man. Like, it's like, it's like, like I, yeah, it's just like, okay, and we're talking about that again. Like, he really, yeah, he really, really loved, liked it a lot. And fine, more power to him. He, found, he, he comfortably found something he, that worked for him. But it's like, it, it's, I guess he's a person who just brought it up a lot. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of people <laughs> that are really into acid. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, hear me out. I would never try hallucinogenics because my brain is crazy and insane and it would not do well. And I don't even find it appealing. I have I don't even it's not even one of those things like, oh, I'm kinda curious. Yeah. I'm like acid, like, no, that'll break my brain. I don't even care. I get that, yeah. And also I'm like, if you want to do acid, go for it, you know? Yeah. As long as you're safe. But there are a few people who are just really into acid and all confident. Yeah. And if you have a conversation with them, it's just like I was on this really, like, I had this amazing acid trip last night and I actually felt like I was part God, but also I was like that blade of grass and it was amazing. And I'm like, man, I'm happy that you enjoy this and all, but like, I don't want to keep hearing about your acid trips. I kind of feel like that. <laughs> it's that whole thing. I agree that there are uh, beneficial, there can be beneficial aspects when safely experimenting with hallucinogenics and mind altering drugs. I agree with that but you keep bringing it up. <laughs> like, it's like, I, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, he's, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's great that you enjoy this and all, but like, it's not related to everything. Can we talk about something else? Yeah. Can we yeah, yeah. move on the and, and hey, and, But also at the same time, hey, don't we all have one of those interests? No. Like, oh my God, we're going to talk about this. I want to talk, like, no, no, I don't mean essentially like something like kinky or, or, or expensive like acid or, or BSM, but don't, even just like, just a particular book yeah, you like but- and it's just like well i'm not wrong that the book is good but maybe i'm still talking about it too yeah much. yeah but we, <laughs> i definitely have that yeah but i mean i do too but i think the difference is we move on from one thing to the other it's constantly evolving it's not and it's not just like man bondage is great you know it'd be good for your psych and you know it'd be good in the comic yeah. book too and you know where else we should uh put you know fem- imagine imagine if he's bondage. like imagine if you imagine Submitting. if he was like a medic if he was a medical doctor and that was the only thing he prescribed was a bondage habit i mean this is this is it this is just an intelligent and i'll give him this i believe he wanted what's best for women i do believe that he it seems he loved women too much almost <laughs> like yeah yeah like i said it's like it's it, some of it reminds me of gene roddenberry where it's like his 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 personal interests got a little bit in the way of his genuine progressive ideas um, especially i really think it was that baby party that all brought him to he was like oh my god women spanking each other this is hot i am obsessed with this now and that's just what happened <laughs> We made just a, a better biopic about him, but you can play him for that scene. <laughs> just, just like. <laughs> so Marston died in 1947, which was only mm. you know five years two after, years. only five years after Wonder Woman debuted. Okay. Oh, I was just thinking two years after yeah. World War Two. Two good years. And and after Marston died, in many ways, Wonder Woman died as well she all the bondage disappeared from the comics without him right she lost her powers as well and this was also when she was not utilized she was a secretary for years and she was just kind of like oh yeah yeah. she's that's that's with the justice Mm. league that she's yeah so all the super sexist treatment of wonder woman happened after marston died because he wasn't there to defend her and to keep her so when he died, right. you know, she lost her power. She, 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 she became bound, she became by, bound men. by men. The fact that in the 
I can't. What was the Justice League called before it was the Justice League? It had a different name. Super Friends. No, there was another name for it. Something Team. Oh, I'm 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 not sure. Well, basically, one of the first iterations of the Justice League is uh, Wonder Woman. They fought, they let her in, and it was like, yes, we have a woman, but they never took her out in any of the missions. She just stayed and worked there as yeah. a secretary, and that's kind of where Wonder Woman was trapped and secluded for years until the 70s when feminist Gloria Steinem, who grew up reading Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman, and loving her, and made her appear on the first issue of a feminist magazine, Miss. So now Wonder Woman was back in the discourse. And then um, and then you had the... And then it was shortly after that that you had the live-action Laura Carter. Right. So Wonder Woman was kind of dead between... Marston's death and it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of like Captain America it's from the 40s but then it was revived Mm -hmm. uh later on yeah and now we have you know Wonder Woman is we we finally have got we finally have a live action movie for her which is like okay why did it take so long yeah um and in it seems like she's slowly coming back to roots with how she was before in 2015 wonder woman became the first dc hero to officiate a same-sex marriage uh, when clark kent expressed confusion of that wonder woman would be supportive of same-sex marriage wonder woman replied clark my country is all women to us it's not gay marriage it's just marriage and wonder woman is now finally officially canonically bisexual which she had been since the beginning but now it's been officially stated and it's in the yeah it's, con- it's, it's confirmed, confirmed. I, I, li- I like that line she said to Clark Kent but I also would have settled for it Clark shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut the, shut the fuck you up. Republican twist just know this is your absurd real history Wonder Woman came from a bondage and sex obsessed radical feminist psychologist that I'm still not sure is a good guy or not. I don't. Yeah. Like, and I don't know. Do I love him? Do no, I hate him? Mostly, I don't know. mostly, <laughs> I don't know. Be- mostly because you just shouldn't ever think you know with anyone, much less, <sighs> much less straight dudes. Anyway, that's it. That's everything I have. So to finish, we can just talk a little bit about the two new movies and how you feel about yeah. Wonder Woman now. Because I know we talked before, you said you liked them, but... You... Yeah, I, li- I enjoyed them. I, I liked cause... the first movie. A lot of people didn't like it. I actually did like the first movie. I mean, the first movie generally was well-received. A bit of a an annoying context is just the fact that they are movies made in the DC universe, which... Uh, the, the DC movie universe, which overall is a huge disaster. Just the, <laughs> Snyder, the Snyderverse. Uh, I'm bad <laughs> to say about Zack Snyder as a person. But I just really have a big problem with his movies. They're solid movies, but they also like suffer from the fact that they exist in that universe, which has yeah. a lot of creative, creatively poor decisions. And and um, but they're like solid movies. I like them. I really liked. I really like enjoyed Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. But it is also a mess. It's yeah, such a mess. yeah, yeah. The first I... one was more interesting and you know building traction, mm. but also kind of. And DC has a a a, a history of trying to. Uh, mimic Marvel's success because yeah. DC's from and and there's a lot of that holding it back so it's all just nothing to do with the subject matter in Marston and and the, mm. the intellectual property just the context in which they're mm. made but it, in that, that they're good movies uh but 1984 I really enjoyed but it's an insane mess so they're not great movies and I'm only talking about these two things as films and it's amazing to me how much I've learned in, in the past two hours about this character how much is missed out 
more so than any other superhero character. Mm. How much there's so much of a rich culture, but it shouldn't mm. even be a modern blockbuster because they are naturally very limited. There's something to be explored and revived because that is a very rich culture that I didn't realize. She has the most interesting one out of any of the kind of original superheroes. Definitely. Wonder Woman is like, this is a guy who lived all of this. And then the footnote as the end is, oh, and he wrote a comic book based on that stuff. Like, <laughs> the, 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 you know what I mean? The life is much more interesting than the comic book. Well, it's also, he was, he got inspiration from these women that were actively telling him things. And I yeah. think with, with Wonder Woman, with her is, she's always about her core ideas. So the thing with Wonder Woman is she kicks ass if she has to and if she needs to. But her core value is all about peace and justice and equality. And yeah. the thing with Wonder Woman is she did all this without denouncing her femininity. She was being fighting and badass, but without the toxic masculine air in a war of a way that's like... Um, well, what's kind of choosing to be what she felt to her was still a yes. woman. So, so emphasizing female qualities like... Emphasizing female qualities like caring and, you know, submitting or, you know, mother love and all this kind of stuff as a positive thing instead of as a, a negative, a negative trait and a way of doing that. And she was designed to be a specimen of a woman. I mean, similarly, you know, you have Superman uh, fucking with his crotch and muscles. You know, of course, Wonder Woman. No, but of course, he's all, he's, no, no, I, no, sorry, I agree. no, yeah, no, but he's all crotch and muscles. He's all crotch and muscles. Like, of course, Wonder Woman is going to be, you know, big breasted mm. and like tall and thin because she was meant to be a specimen. And I feel like that was okay because that was the point of it is because that's a problem that you have a lot in today's society is that for women to be taken seriously, they have to almost desex themselves. Right. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know. So just re- my take on the movie, I love the first one the first live action one more than i yeah. thought i would i mm. was also teaching at a kids camp that year and one thing i loved is little girls for the first time that i'd seen were dressing up as wonder woman and as superheroes right. and they wanted to be superheroes which was a huge change because for me and even for a lot of these girls before like even two years before the movie came out all they had were princesses and now yeah. they're and and I think people it's don't like understand this, representation is so important to the youth. Yes. So yes, that's Wonder Woman. The early installments are really really interesting. There's some of them are very overtly kind of erotic in how she's depicted tied up. Um, and also you're saying that you're saying that like that's not a selling point. <laughs> well, I mean, no, but I mean there you know in regards to like objectification of women that is a huge part but there yeah, yeah. you know when you think of it in term in comparison to the the feminist cartoons of women breaking free from their chains he was very purposely mirroring that and yeah. you know everything about her from her bracelets which as we said before were his mistresses deflects bullets are a reminder to submit and everything but that's it i as I said, there's so much here. This was one of those episodes that I've had a couple of times where I've had to stop myself doing research, where I've been like, Saoirse, you've been reading up on BDSM and polyamory and Wonder Woman for days now. Just stop. You have more than enough. You have more than, you don't need to know everything. And that's the episode. Would you like to plug anything? Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed this. Um, Were you expecting this much bondage talk? Um... (laughs) <laughs> no, but I I knew that I knew that was a thing. 
I did know that, but it was sort of like, a, no, 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 Seamus, we're not done yet. <laughs> I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> um, we're, we haven't even started. Um, but I, but um, yes, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. It's Seamus.Hanley on Instagram. Twitter, it's Seamus Hanley. But you'll find me, and I'm sure I'll be tagged in this. And just look up Seamus Hanley. There aren't many of us. Uh, and then uh, and I have a link tree. I have films I've made. I'm always putting stuff up. And, uh, and I have a... This is the second time I'm saying it now. I said in the last episode, uh, uh, an exclusive plug is that I have a web series called uh, Kirk Squad. It's a Star Trek series. It's kind of infrequent episodes. The last episode was a year ago. But breaking news, there's going to be some new episodes in May. <gasps> and But check out the old episodes, sorry. particularly the sixth episode, the most recent one that came out last year, because Saoirse is in it, and she's very, very good. Her with that, she has a great scene with Alison Spittle. Um, and uh, there's lots of other great Irish uh, comedy talent and some non-Irish ones as well. Uh, so uh, mm, check that out. Look at you. Look at me. Branching out. <laughs> Thank you, Seamus. I, as always, have been your host, Saoirse Sinead. Find me on Twitter and Instagram. My handles are in the description of the episode below or to the side, depending on what app you're using or however you listen to podcasts. If you have any specific queries about the episode or if you have episode ideas or just anything that's related you can email me at absurdrealhistory at gmail.com this podcast has been created through my theater company as we can't really be making theater shows so much so do give scream for ireland a like on all the socials if you can as well i'd really appreciate it and also if you've been enjoying this podcast please do let me know and tell your friends about it and share it because you know, I've, I have a great uh, audience base at the moment that I really love and appreciate. But I am, this started off as a lockdown thing. And, you know, as we're coming out of lockdown now, I, I'm trying to figure out if it's worth sustaining. So it's only really worth sustaining if people are listening to it and enjoying it. So if you are, do let me know so I can kind of weigh out my, my options. But thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Seamus. Thank um, you. Your music should be playing now. I, oh, the one that you made. Yeah. Um, doesn't, doesn't, it just put, doesn't it just kind of put you in the mood? For bondage. Mm-hmm.